When life gives you lemons, are you able to make lemonade or are you simply soured by the experience? If you've prepared your learners for life by giving them an assortment of authentic learning opportunities and they've experienced adversity, failure, challenges, and they're able to overcome, when they face the same thing in life, they'll be okay. They'll be prepared because you prepared them to deal with the adversity of life. You prepared them to make a difference, to see challenges as opportunities for growth. Welcome to another Learner's Mindset Discussion. I'm Dr. Dwayne Harapnik, and my colleague is... Dr. Talisa Thibodeau. And we want to have a conversation today about uh, a topic from a book that I had recently read, um, Lukanov's and Heights, The Coddling of the American Mind, subtitled How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. So we want to talk about how do you actually prepare people to deal with failure? How do you actually prepare people uh, to not go down this wrong path? And I, I want to point to the fact that authentic learning opportunities, if you embrace authentic learning opportunities over your learner's lifetime, over an extended period of time, they gain experience and knowledge uh, in ways to deal with the adversities of life. And when things go really bad, physically, circumstantially, even from a health perspective, if you have a foundation of being able to deal with adversity, then you can actually be in a position to weather the storm. If you don't have that experience and knowledge, uh, more so the experience, well then even the smallest things can set you off. And so I, I wanna go down that path by sharing um, the last 48 hours that, that my, my, my boys and I experienced, and in particular my older son, and share some of the uh, interesting dynamics of the last 48 hours and how he got through it, how he got through it, how I managed to get through it as a worried father, but also how his brother and the community that my boys are part of helped him get through it. And I'm gonna make some very significant connections to um, what we do in our work with the Digital Learning Leading Program where we prepare our students by giving them uh, creating a significant learning environment and giving them choice, ownership, and voice through authentic learning opportunities. And I, I, you know, I wanna make that connection that those authentic learning opportunities are pivotal and they're crucial. Any thoughts before I jump into the story? Did you want to just sort of add add, add some questions or? Uh... I'm really excited to hear about your story, but I also think that in the first thing I thought of when you started talking about this from a familial perspective, a personal perspective, this starts at a young age. We have to perpetuate and start helping our, our kids see these things from a young age. And, and as teachers in the classroom, you know, thinking about weathering the storm and, and what are the ways that we can make the turn challenges into opportunities for ourselves, make these things work um, in a way that we can apply that learning to the next time this happens. And not just, you know, in, in, from a familial perspective, but even in our program, the program perspective, we, we start this early on, the very beginning of the program to help folks understand that learning should come before every 
everything else, authentic learning opportunities and using the technology to support learning. That is where it's all at. And, and you have to experiment, create, have fun, and really, you know, take those next steps that, that push you outside of your comfort zone even a little bit to allow you that, that real-time learning, that real genuine learning we need to be successful in future endeavors and innovation plans that we, that we pursue. I think you've really uh, touched on an important point, and I'm going to sort of summarize it with this idea. There's nothing like a little bit of reality to throw a curveball <laughs> into your best plans, right? And and so I, I, I don't want to spend too much time on, on the stories, but I want to just jump in and, and give you a context. So <clears throat> this week uh, is the start of Crankworks uh, uh, 2009 at Whistler. Uh, 2019, sorry, 2019 at Whistler. Crankworks is uh, one of the North America's biggest downhill mountain bike mm -hmm. festivals. And my boys have been racing in Crankworks in a variety of different competitions um, uh, over the last several years. And my older son, Levi, is racing in an EWS race, uh, Enduro World Series. So he's racing in a world, uh, uh, world Cup class race. So he's competing against the top two or 300 people in the world at Whistler in EWS. And then he's also racing in another downhill race called the Canadian Open, which is one of the premier races in, over the year, one of the hardest races of the year. Uh, and again, he's competing against another two, 300 pros from all over the world. So this is a, a world, the best in the world are coming together to Whistler. Now there's crankwork festivals in other parts of the country. So, and, and my boys have traveled to different, uh, or Levi's traveled to different countries to race as well. So this is a part of a world scene. So Levi has been training for this since last year, right? You know, he, he had some mechanical issues in the race last year. Last year was the first year that he raced in, in the EWS race. So his first year as a pro that he raced at that level. And he had raced in South America and a few other places. And so um, he didn't place as high as he wanted. He did okay. Yeah. He could have been could have been better, but on a world, you know, for the first time that you're competing on a world stage, he was kind of in the middle of the pack. Well, he wanted so he wants to be higher up. So this past year, he's been training like crazy. We are talking five, six hours a day of training, six, seven days a week, weight training, riding his bike, uh, it just nonstop, washing his nutrition. He's worked so hard for this. And so this is the week. This is the week. The big race is tomorrow, tomorrow, um, August 10th. Big race. So um, I've been encouraging my boys to prepare and, and to plan ahead. Um, the week started out fine. Um, and, uh, you know, Levi was putting together his menu for, um, uh, for the, the week. He, he spent 10 days, my boys spent 10 days at Whistler. So both my boys were planning mechanically, getting the parts they needed, making sure the bikes are tuned up, all the stuff, the vehicles, the, the trailer, they, they camp out while well, they have a trailer that they use to camp out in. Uh, it's a wonderful area, beautiful spot. Um, so everything is going along um, as planned. And then Levi, um, got, Levi is planning ahead. He's always planning ahead. This, this winter, he's planning to go on the road. He wants to buy a sprinter van and build it out so that he can travel, the, uh, travel North America and ride his bike in a couple of key places and do some podcasting and do, shoot some video. And, and so, you know, taking his show on the road, so to speak. And so he's planning ahead. So he's selling his diesel truck um, and he wants to get a sprinter van. And so he put his diesel truck up for sale. Well, somebody contacted him and said, Hey, I want your truck. I've got a, a BMW M6. Do you want to trade? And uh, the guy had the vehicle posted for a lot of money, 25 grand. Um, and, and Levi didn't have his 
he only had his truck posted for I think 20 grand or 22 and I thought there's no way the guy's going to trade no way because he's asking so much more um and it's a sports car this a diesel truck so when Levi went to um see the guy um on Tuesday this is Tuesday uh to meet with him um I thought no way the deal is not going to happen so Tuesday night Levi went to meet this guy. This is Tuesday. Levi was leaving Wednesday night to go to Whistler and start training on Thursday. So Tuesday night, Levi meets this guy. And I thought, yeah, it'll take a couple of hours. <laughs> I, got a, I got a text message saying, oh, dad, I forgot my wallet at home. I, I did the deal. I'm trading the truck. Can you just drop my wallet off? I, I need to take care of the paperwork. I thought, oh, man, you, you got rid of your truck. Right away, I'm thinking, I didn't say anything, but how are you going to tow your trailer up? Um, and, and went back and forth. I, I did ask a question. So how are you going to tow the trailer up? He said, Oh, don't worry, dad. I talked to Caleb. Well, you know, I can use this Jeep to tow the trailer up. Oh, okay. No, no problem. So, um, went, did, did the trade. When I went to drop off his, his trailer, Levi was wearing shorts and he was relaxed. And I noticed when he was walking, he had a horrible limp and his leg had swollen up like massively mm-hmm. on Monday the day before he had been training up at Whistler and he had running the course. He got bitten by a bug, might've been a bee, a hornet, something, something bit him just behind his knee. And um, his leg swelled up the second day. So Tuesday, it was looking really bad. Like Tuesday night when he was, you know, at at the, doing the the deal, he could barely walk. Um, And we went online after we took a look at different remedies and, you know, he took some Benadryl, all that good stuff. Uh, Wednesday morning, um, his leg was swollen even more. And we started experimenting, putting baking soda on it and a variety of other things and trying to fix it. You know, uh, Benadryl, a variety of other lotions to deal with it. Um, You know, we checked to make sure that the stinger was out, but his leg was really starting to swell up bad. Um, And throughout the day, I, I stopped by. Uh, to see him. Also throughout the day, I had to go and find a um, a hitch, uh, not a hitch, but a, uh, a wiring kit for his brother's Jeep because we had to wire up the Jeep so that we could pull the trailer. And so while I'm running around finding parts and Caleb, uh, my younger son was working, he had a couple, he was trying to finish up his work this week because he's heading out to Whistler this weekend. And so he runs his own business and he, he has to take a week off or week and a half off. And so he's, he was busy. Levi was uh, uh, doing some work at his shop as well. And so it sort of fell upon me to run around, get the parts and find different things. And so I'm zipping around, getting different parts, going to the pharmacy to pick up different things, dropping off a lotion here, try this lotion, try this, take this pill, right? And you know, getting the parts and coming back, putting the wiring kit on, Caleb helped me out with that. So all this stuff is happening. By the mid-afternoon, when I stopped by to see Levi the last time, his leg was starting to have, he was starting to get red streaks. When you start to get red streaks in swelling, that means you've got an infection. And so we were fortunate enough to get in to see his doctor. He saw his doctor just before the end of the day. And his doctor said, yeah, you've got an infection. You need to go to the hospital and get put on antibiotic via intravenous. And so, (laughs) (laughs) this is not good. Intravenous, you know, antibiotics on intravenous. But Levi was calm, much calmer than I was internally. Maybe he was nervous, but, you know, I, I handled it okay. You know, I, I drove him down to the hospital, and um, we were there for several hours. Uh, it took a little while to get into the hospital. 
Um, and within a couple of hours of waiting, we, we got in and the emergency doctor took a look at it and said, yeah, you're, you're at that borderline point where we could give you antibiotics, but if we do start you on antibiotics, well then once we start, we can't finish, you're gonna, you're gonna miss your race, right? So you, you, if we start this, then you have to follow through on it because you'll, you'll do it tonight, you'll do it tomorrow, you do it, you have to do about five or six rounds. And so uh, Levi says, well, there's a hospital in Whistler, I can, can't I do it there, can't I, can't I ride? And then go, well, not really. You know, so she said, if, if you really want to race, you, you need to take this risk. She said, take a look and see how you feel overnight. She says, I don't think this is that bad. Um, these types of bites, this is sort of the peak point. You, you might get better on your own. And if, if we can avoid the intravenous antibiotic, you know, this is, this is the key thing to do. So, um, you know, we wasted a lot of time going to the doctors, going to the emergency. We didn't get out of the emergency about nine almost nine o'clock. Um, and so we, we didn't do the intravenous and I went and got a prescription filled just in case. And the, the, the doctor insisted that if there's, if the red marks and the swelling doesn't go down by tomorrow morning, if there, if the red marks spread, then it definitely is uh, an infection and you need to have intravenous. There's no choice. You come back in, we'll take you in first thing and we'll take care of it. Right. Um, and so it, all this is happening. We got back home by nine o'clock and Levi still had to pack up his trailer and make sure he had all the parts. And so he spent an hour hobbling around and getting all his stuff together, packing up his stuff. And, and we had everything ready to go. He had it by the door. He had it, had everything ready to go in the garage. And while this was happening, he had been texting a buddy of his. We, we have a friend who is, his parents are modern day hippies. They live in the interior of British Columbia. They grow organic, cannabis they grow organic pot they also sell organic fertilizers they they are organic farmers and since uh, marijuana has been legalized in canada they're one of the um, top producers of organic marijuana and they actually provide organic fertilizers for a lot of people who are doing this type of work anyways they're modern day hippies they do everything in an unconventional way Levi had been texting him, and the reason he had been texting him is that one of the things that we've learned from Sky, this is, this is the young guy that's the same age as Levi, is that even though they're modern-day hippies, they had got some pretty amazing cures for remedies. And in the past, when different things have happened, you know, um, Sky's mom, here, Levi, take this, take this substance, soak in this, and, and this will solve your problem. And sure enough, it worked. Well, guess what? Text message came back from Scott. Yeah, no problem, Levi. What you need to do is create a potato poultice. What? What's a potato poultice? I'd never heard of that. Mm -mm. This guy said, just look it up online, Levi. Easy to do, simple. You probably have a potato in your house. Do a potato poultice. By tomorrow morning, the swelling will, will be down. But you're going to have to keep on putting it on over the next couple of days, and it'll take it away. So, yeah, Levi and I went online, took a look at the potato poultice. And I uh, figured out how to do it. Actually, very simple. And we, we put, made a big one. Like we're talking, had a big potato and a big one that wrapped up. You know, we, we had to cover an area, probably a foot square on his leg. The, the swelling was so bad. Big, massive potato poultice wrapped it up with a tensor bandage. And he went to bed. And he was, we got up the next morning at five o'clock because we had to pack up and get out to Whistler so that he could register for his race. And then he was practicing by 10 o'clock. Now, all this is happening, and he can barely walk. He's still planning to go to the race, right? So he, he traded his truck, and he didn't have a vehicle to, 
tow his trailer, but it's okay because he was going to use his brother's truck and, and it, not a problem. We'll figure that one out. Um, you know, the, the bug bite, not a problem. I'll, I've been texting my buddy. I'll go to the doctor to get that taken care of. All of these things are happening around him and he's calm. And it's just a matter of fact. Sure enough, Wednesday morning, wake up, five, five o'clock. And actually the swelling did go down quite a bit. He could walk a little bit better. Um, he got up, moved around. Uh, we re refreshed the poultice, put a new one on. Um, and uh, we packed up the trailer, managed to leave exactly when we needed to leave. And we headed up to Whistler. And we got to Whistler. Uh, he went ahead of me. He took a car. He went ahead of me. He registered for the race. He got all that. We went to the spot where he was going to set up his trailer, got him going. And he was only a half an hour late for the start of his practice session. So the, the pros have to practice at a specific period in the morning. And they also have a specific period in the afternoon. So, um, and he was only a half an hour late. And, and the reason that he has to practice is that these, these courses get released. And if you don't go down them at least once, then you, you're going to ride blind. And so he, he wanted to be able to ride. There's, there's five, um, five stages in the race. And so he, he was practicing on two stages in the first day. Um, on Friday, which is today, the next day, he's practicing three more stages. And then the race is tomorrow on Saturday. The race is Saturday and Sunday. It's a two-day race. And so um, he got up there. He was fine. Now, by the time that we got to the campsite and he came back, he wasn't limping as bad. And actually, um, when he took the when we took that second poultice off, it was amazing. The red had gone down quite a bit. It, it well, it had shrinked, and the swelling had gone down. And so maybe it was the time. Maybe maybe it was a potato. Regardless, he was okay. And when I left him, or I. I, I dropped him off um, because where he was staying was a, a good 30 minutes away from the start of the race or the practice area, maybe 25 minutes. So I dropped him off and I headed back to uh, Vancouver. And as I was driving along through the mountains and uh, I, I showed you a picture of the scenery, I've got the ocean on, on one side and mountains on the other side, the most amazing scenery. It's calm. It's serene. The last 36, 48 hours were just you know, my emotions were up and down. I was thinking to myself, he's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. Not just for the race, but for life, right? We're talking about a major medical situation. These types of infections can lead to people even having their legs amputated if it goes bad, right? This is serious. This is not something to be uh, taken lightly. And, and now, the wonderful thing was is that we did everything we could on our own and we checked things out and, and it worked and we did follow the medical advice, but we also followed some natural advice, which worked as well. Here's the amazing thing that, that I saw happening. We, we used the resources that were there. Levi investigated things. He was texting his friends. He got information. We went online. We took a look at that. Both he and I talked about these ideas and, and we explored, we collaborated. We, we, we together, are actually he, and through conversing with me, that whole notion of finding your voice, by talking through the options, he made wise decisions. He made wise decisions. I was there to help him make the decisions, but it was his call all the way along. It was his call. He stayed positive. He stayed resolute. He stayed calm. And when his dad was panicking inside, probably more than, maybe he was too, but he didn't show it, 
he was calm. And all the way through, he never gave up the idea that he was going to be practicing and racing this weekend. That idea never changed. Sure enough, he, he's there. He's practicing. It's the second race. Um, his leg, his swelling's gone down quite a bit. He's able to practice. He's functioning. He's not 100%, but he feels by tomorrow, which is the first day of the race, he's going to be back to where he needs to be, and, and it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. So all that adversity um, and then seeing that adver- him deal with that adversity reminded me he is going to be okay. A lifetime of working through authentic learning opportunities, a lifetime of challenge. He's had all kinds of adversity and failure and mechanical issues. Actually, there's, there's, one more, there's one more thing I need to add. So driving by or driving home to Vancouver, I was looking at the amazing ocean scene. I actually stopped to take a picture because I was thinking, yeah, this, you know, I'm, I'm feeling good. This is good. I, yeah, it works. My son's going to be okay. He's going to be okay for the race. He's going to be okay for life. This is wonderful. Yeah, I, I'm okay. You know, I can die now. You know, my, my boys will be okay. <laughs> I laugh about that. But no, as parents, you're, you're concerned for, for your children, right? Um, and so got back to uh, home and uh, I was home for 45 minutes and, and uh, his brother got a text message. Apparently, um, on the first stage, he broke one of his rims. Now, it wasn't that bad. He, didn't, he was able to finish his race. But it never ended. It didn't end, right? Because he had another problem to deal with. And I wanted to run up and bring him spare parts. And, and he said, Dad, don't worry. I got this. It's okay. And then I, I talked to his younger brother. I said, what do you think, Caleb? Should I run up and, you know, take him some, you know, some, should I go get some parts and take some up? He said, dad, dad, don't worry. Levi's got this. I said, dad, you know, I appreciate you wanting to help us, but, but we have this. He said, also, dad, Levi's not alone. Levi's not alone. And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, you know what? Over the years, we've rescued so many of our friends um, that Levi can get help. Everybody knows Levi. Everybody knows us. People are, people are going to help him. He, if he's going to have problems, don't worry, Dad. He'll be okay. The community, his buddies will step up. And sure enough, I saw a picture that Levi posted on Instagram um, on his camping area where there's multiple bikes. A bunch of his buddies stopped by to help him out. Yeah, he's going to be okay. The community is going to step up. Dad, we're part of a community that his younger brother said. Yeah, you know what? We've helped other people. People will help us. So this just this whole scenario confirms the fact that if you give your learners those authentic learning opportunities, they'll be able to work through everything. And he's not fragile. My boys aren't fragile, right? And so, you know, when I look at the coddling of the American mind, one of the issues that Height points to, and, and he 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 makes the argument that right now we are we are following some myths or some untruths and one of the untruths that that he says that he's arguing that we're falling into a, this 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 trap or this myth is that this it's this notion what doesn't kill you will make you weaker you know this notion that we're seeing about safe spaces in 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 in, in an educational environment and you have to actually prevent people from being exposed to things that'll make them uncomfortable man I am so glad I didn't do that. Levi and Caleb lived a life of reality. 
they failed at so many things. There's nothing safe about their life. They're downhill mountain bike racers. What they do for professions is dangerous. My, my son is into hot exotic cars. He, they buy and sell exotic cars. They customize exotic vehicles. There's nothing safe about what they do. They live life on the edge. And they've had all kinds of adversities. We're talking broken bones, concussions, hospitalizations. They've lived a, an exciting life. And they can deal with anything. What doesn't kill you actually makes you stronger. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I think height is right. That 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 is a myth. Anyway, so you've heard the story. Here we are. It's Friday, and all this happened in the last couple of days. I'm surviving, and my boys have assured me they're going to be okay. Not just this weekend, but for life. What are your thoughts? Immediately, my mind goes back to what a learner's mindset is really all about. And you just walked through a really good example of, and it was an authentic example, you know, you, it, just how you really do have to start from the beginning and get folks to start testing out things, trying things. And, and in your own, um, ex, your own example, your own kids, you know, they weren't handed everything. This is how you do it. Here's your instructions. And, and if you do this, you're going to get ice cream. It wasn't like a, a tangible, if then it was more of a get out there, test out your ideas, experiment, collaborate with each other, figure out your way of solving this problem, ask questions, reframe the question, reorient your thinking, and take what you learn and apply that to the next phase or the next section of what you're doing or the next part of your life, whatever that is. And you've set your kids up that way. And I think it's so important that we take real examples like that and share these out and, and, and as one way to help folks build a learner's mindset who may be struggling with the, the notion of what failure is or not understanding how to fail forward or some folks think failure defines them. You know, oh man, I made this, I'm never going, made this big bad mistake and I'm never going to go down that pathway again. Really, actually, if you learn from that, that failure, it doesn't become a failure anymore. It becomes a stepping stone to your next success, right? I grew up in a, in a space where there was lots of death, <laughs> a lot of family members, close family members. My brother had brain cancer. My dad passed away in his sleep. Um, and then a divorce, you know, my parents had gone through a divorce and a you know, even more than that, lots of drama around that whole situation, but it was what I did with that. Did I choose to define myself by those moments or did I choose to define my path moving forward by those moments? And so it's really about taking these opportunities that we have and making them, making them really good opportunities and stepping stones to our next steps, our next our next endeavor, our next plan, our, you know, our outlook. And, and we, and going back to the whole notion of focus, I think about, um, you know, you always bring up your UTEP cup. If I just, if I, if I show you this side, you see UTEP here, but if I turn it this way, you see all the text. It's that, that, <laughs> that's all that I always go back to that in my mind. And I had a student bring that up as well. And what an example, something that they, that something that they remember, we have to, we have to not just look at, incidences for what they are we have to situate ourselves where we can kind of step back from it but also step into it and then and then take those steps and move forward with it and that's what i think your boys have become a master at and i think a lot of that we have brought into the the program that the dll program 
and when people cross over and they start seeing, oh, wow, there are opportunities out of these, these incidences and these things that happen around us, these things that make us uncomfortable. And it's really about who we are and how we respond to these things. Our mindset. It's the environment. It's, you know, I, I was talking with my sister-in-law today and we were just chatting about, she's in a crossroads right now. She's determining what she's going to do in her next steps in her life. And she's got a lot of big things going on, a lot of opportunities in front of her. I said, you know, the only walls that are up around you right now are those that you put up, knock them down. You are in, in, you are in control of what those walls look like and your environment. And if those walls are restricting you in some way, knock them down. You put them up, you knock them down. You know, and, and I constantly, you know, when I'm running, I think of that as well. So I think these are great, great examples. And I would love to, you know, be able to chat a bit more about this in, 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 in our program. So as we continue to build out LMDs, lots of opportunities here. So thanks for sharing. Well, I, I really appreciate the fact that you're making the connection to what we do within the digital learning leading program within uh, what we're doing with our, our, our COVA professional development and, and the learner's mindset. Um, and, and, you know, our, our most recent book that we are in the process of uh, editing and, and writing and, and finishing up, uh, I think you really hit the nail on the head in, in the sense that um, you go through a process of being, coming the perpetual learner. And, and I, I think of the last couple of days, you know, there were, there was problem after problem. And you know, both Levi and I, and I were on our phones checking out different YouTube videos and looking for ways to, you know, different solutions and try this and try that and experiment with this. And, and you know, he was texting his friends. He was texting his community, right? We advocate so strongly within the DLL program that people make a connection to a community of practice. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do this yeah. by yourself. You don't have to do this by yourself. And if you actually contribute to that community, people will step up without you even asking. One more little tidbit. When I was driving up to Whistler yesterday morning, I had stopped uh, to stop the trailer and stopped driving up for just a minute. Um, I was on the side of the road and one of Levi's friends pulled up in front of me. He was on his way to Whistler. He's what a guy that Levi trains with and races against and races with. He stopped and he saw that I was stopped. And so he wanted to see if everything was okay. If you're part of a community, if you are there to help rescue other people, if you're there to help other people when they have problems, if you're there to encourage, to support, to laugh and to cry and to cheer these people on, if you're there for others, when you need somebody, people will stop on their own. And so it, it was amazing. So when, when Caleb reminded me, he says, dad, no, Levi's going to be fine. He'll, he, there's lots of people who will help him. It, it, it reminded me that what we're doing within the DLL program is so important and it's so needed because if our DLL graduates really become part of a community and they live that, guess what? They're going to share that with their students. Mm -hmm. And then a whole other generation of students are going to realize you don't have to do this by yourself. Sure, you can compete. My boys race against all their friends mm -hmm. all the time. They're constantly competing against their friends. But at the same time, when their friends win or when their friends beat them or when their friends might not beat them, it doesn't matter. They're there to cheer them on. They're there to console them but they're friends, 
They're friends first. The competition is part of it, but they're collaborating. If somebody breaks a bike or breaks a wheel or something, doesn't matter. I've got a spare one here. Use mine. They're there. And when you instill that notion that there is a community that you can be part of that is going to be concerned about you, you don't have to worry about the evil person out there. Well, no, you're part of a community who has the same interests, who cares about what you're doing because they have the same belief. They have the same belief that it's our responsibility as educators to improve the world one learner at a time. So that that community that we encourage our, our DLL students to become part of, they're going to share it with their learners. And we've seen that in, in a lot of the reflections that we've seen within our capstone course. And I know you're currently in the capstone course and you get to read some of the most amazing reflections where, where these people reflect on the transformation that they've gone through and how they can attribute not to not just to their own adversity they have to deal with, but to the community as well. So we are really preparing people for life. And, and you know, I'd mentioned that, yeah, Levi's going to be okay. Caleb's going to be okay. Not just for this weekend, not just for the race, but for life. And, and you know what? We are encouraging educators to adopt that learner's mindset, to recognize that that ongoing perpetual learning experimentation, failing forward. I know you're going to jump on that one. I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk about that failing forward. That ongoing failing forward is so important. If we deny people that opportunity to fail on their own, they're not going to be able to deal with the adversity of a real crisis. That's the important thing. Do you want to touch on the failing forward? I know this is one of your favorite ideas. I, I think of so many different avenues I could go down when you're talking. And, and I think the one that, that pops into my head is when you talk about failing forward and you think about just the word failure in your mind, if you stop for a minute and think, if I want to move forward in this area or this avenue, what do I have to do? to knock down whatever these walls are that I was talking about and referring to before that are inhibiting me from my growth and moving forward. So I'll, to share my story on that, in high school, I was a track runner, but I hated to run. Does that make sense? <laughs> Not really. Who joins track when they hate to run? So I thought I would try to get out of it, right? I thought I would try to get out of it and I would do the, you know, throw the discus and throw the shot put and learn some really great uh, shot put moves. And I was practicing them actually out on the track the other day. I was doing the South African. It's a really cool spin movement. I still got it in me, by the way. And, you know, so I thought I was getting out of it. Well, lo and behold, I busted both of my ankles that senior year in high school at the same time. So that was a major setback for me, right? So I had to be my senior year of high school. I'm being pushed around in a wheelchair. <laughs> Not at all what I expected for myself. So I, I what I, you know, I, I thought I've got to get in shape. You know, I want to start running, but I just was totally set back by it. So then I go to college. I, I heal up from that, right? I go to college my freshman year and I'm trying out for cheerleading because I've always been in cheerleading. Well, a girl did, she fell off of a pyramid stand and about broke my neck. And I think I was sitting this way for about a week. <laughs> and so there was another setback. So I had a setback and another setback. And then something happened where, and this is kind of when I talked a bit about drama and, and divorce and death when my dad passed away. And everything, I was able to kind of do the UTEP thing where you shift and focus, right? Uh, here I am out here trying to like, talk the rhetoric. I'm going to do these things. I want to do these things, but I'm not actually doing them. Right. He passed away. My perspective shifted a little bit and I stopped and I started 
picking away at every single uh, thing I thought in my life I was a failure at. I picked it away. I isolated it. I figured those, what that was. Oh, you know, you're, you're not a good, you can't be a good runner because you, you, you know, you have no good form and you, you don't even know how to breathe and you don't even, you don't even know, you can't even run, you know, a, a 100 meter, you know, on the track. Like I was telling my, I was talking to myself, telling me all the things I could not do. Well, lo and behold, you skip forward a few years and here I am in the DLL program and we've been reading lots of wonderful books and I think of 4DX and you know you talk about systemic change and I'm, I'm actually not just looking at some of these books and things that we're reading as you know DLL program but no these are life books right they, they're, they're bigger picture books and I, I think even though it's the, the 4DX book was written from a systems perspective really I think of how does that if I'm part of that system how does that actually apply to me so one of the six sources of influence is get them to love what they hate Right. And that, that started the first time I read it, it spoke to me and I, I read it again and it spoke to me again. I need to get myself to love some of the things I think I hate. What is it that do I, that I think I hate? <laughs> well, I hate running. Well, I decided to start chipping away at that. And I started this thing, you know, high impact interval training, walk, run, walk, run, walk, run. Before I knew it in 2017, I'd ran more miles than I ever thought I could. Right. So I started chipping away at this what was bogging me down and, and causing me to fail. All I was doing was failing, you know, in the past. But then I realized, gosh, how can I turn this into an opportunity to fail forward? And this came out of some of the work that we were doing with our students and this program. This year, this year, no joke, I am at 125 miles since April 27th. And I have taken five weeks off in between that time. And so I learned to knock down a wall that I thought I could never knock down because I kept speaking to myself the language of failure. So what does failing forward mean? It means aligning my own values, my own belief systems with what my plan is moving forward. It means turning a challenge into an opportunity that embodies the learner's mindset. This, it, it, it means not you know, redefining what failure actually means for yourself. It, it, it's an incidence, but it doesn't define who you are. It's called, it's called failure to me is called what they say first attempt in learning. It's a stepping stone. I want to know, I want to know how I can do better. Tell me how I can do better. You know, it, it from your perspective, cause everyone's different. So with that being said, I, you know, I don't take things personal anymore either. I realize it's life and we live in a world that's reality and we have to have these authentic learning opportunities to get us through this thing called reality um, so that we can move forward in our own plans. So maybe one day I'll have my sights set on a marathon. Maybe not, but I first have to chip away at, or maybe half a marathon first. I have to chip away at what are those barriers that restrict me from moving forward. I think your boys have a, learned this a lot earlier in life than I did. I really appreciate you sharing uh, your experience. And, and uh, I, I think we should maybe almost end on this little note here. And I want to make a connection to something that is really important. Um, you talked about the fact that, you know, the books we're using, you know, the stuff that you and I read, the research we're doing, we're not just working with theories, we're living this. Yeah. So when we talk about the learner's mindset, you're talking about how you live learner's mindset. You're a perpetual learner. Dealing with those adversities, dealing with those challenges, chipping away every problem, every failure, well, that's just an opportunity for advancement, it's an opportunity for growth, right? So <laughs> it's a step along the way. Um, 
if you can model and live the learner's mindset, um, it, it provides people an opportunity to see that they too can take challenges, adversity, failure, mm -hmm. and turn those into opportunities for growth. Mm -hmm. And if you continually develop this idea that there are opportunities everywhere. And this is something that I think is really key. And, and I'm excited that we've formalized this within our, our, our Learner's Mindset book, that once you become a perpetual learner, you actually don't adopt the learner's mindset. It is part of you. You are a perpetual learner. And because of that perpetual capacity, you automatically see adversity, challenges, or almost anything as an opportunity. It gives you a different perspective. Some people would argue, well, you're just being positive and you're looking at the world through rosy glasses. Yeah, true. We are. But you know what? It's our belief in the ability as humans that we have this immense capacity for growth, for learning, for advancement. And if you really live that, it doesn't matter how serious the issue is. Um, you can work through it. You can live through it. Not just live through it. You'll be okay. Mm -hmm. You'll be okay. Failure is just an opportunity for growth. Failure, just something you need to chip away at. Failure, it's part of reality. And if we ignore reality, and if we don't allow our students to experience the reality of the real world, the real world, when they have to face it, and the adversities that the real world is going to present them can be devastating. We have to prepare our learners for life. It isn't just about preparing them for the test. Mm -hmm. It's preparing them for life. And remember, our goal is to change the world one learner at a time. Mm -hmm. And as more and more of our students in the DLL program experience this learner's mindset and they grow into that learner's mindset and, and the challenges and adversities that, that they are able to work through, the better they're able to model the same thing for their learners. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those ideas of paying it forward. I think we have a wonderful opportunity. And you know, we've shared some personal stories and I'm, I'm just excited. I'm pumped. I'm, I'm excited. I'm ready to, you, you, you got me thinking about, you know, running. I actually have to go do my high, in, uh, high intensity training this morning. So I can hardly wait to go. So thank you so much. I appreciate the story. We are preparing our learners for life and, uh, and, and they're going to be okay. It's going to be challenges, but they'll be okay.